Hello, welcome to our third episode. We have renamed the podcast from Dear Society to Listen to Us Talk, in tandem with our organization renaming from Stand New York to the Non-Standard Project. If this is your first time hearing about us, our community is to build pan-racial solidarity and build BIPOC communities of support. This podcast is an effort of highlighting issues that uniquely affect Gen Z people of color and taking large-scale issues through the lens of BIPOC youth. With that being said, why don't we introduce ourselves with our names, pronouns, and the things we're most passionate about in activism. Hi, I'm Frances. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of the Non-Standard Project. I go by she, her. Um, the thing I'm most passionate about in activism, I think, is probably um, in specific, like, pan-racial solidarity, and that is why I thought, like, the Non-Standard Project was so foundational, like, needed to be um, built. Yeah. Sarah Moore? Hi, I'm Zaramar. My pronouns are also she, hers, and I'm 17. Um, I think probably what I'm most passionate about in activism is like deep activism revolving like defunding the police and prison abolition, um, and also like activism revolving like illegal immigration in the United States, abolishing ICE, those two things I would say. Um, hi, my name is Yan and I'm 15. And the thing I'm most interested about in activism is just building communities of support that for marginalized communities and trying to deal with issues such as capitalism and um, suppression. Today, we're going to be discussing the intersections of voting within, within people of color communities, especially regarding voter rhetoric that circulates social media and youth platforms. All right, um, so we're gonna start off really with just a quick acknowledgement that obviously voting is important for institutional change within the government, um, especially if, since we're already working in these kind of pre-designed structures that is very difficult for us to change in like a large scale material sense. Obviously voting is important, especially as youth, like in terms of like tangible work, there's not much else we can do. Um, so we just wanted to preface the discussion with that. Um, and so I'm gonna start off with just like a brief, just kind of like, we figured we would all be in agreement of like general feelings towards the election. Um, I really have felt a little bit kind of disappointed, kind of frustrated with like generally how it's going. Obviously like even like I'll use the debates as an example, you kind of have to go into them like wanting to laugh at both candidates because you just like, if you take what they're saying seriously, from my point of view, it would have been even more disappointing. Um, and I just think that you, when you think about it in terms of like policies and like histories of both candidates and like presence of both candidates, it's very easy to get disappointed. Um, so, yeah. Um, I think that between the two candidates, there's been a very popular saying that's been circulating, like youth voter activism, that's like, um, Trump is a gunshot to the heart and Biden is a gunshot to the leg. And I saw this account, so it's at V-Y-R-E, I have no idea how you pronounce it, but um, they said Trump is a gunshot to the front and Biden is a gunshot to the back. It is not a matter of like which one is more severe, but how that damage is being inflicted. And I think that like when... Like, if I could vote, I would probably vote Biden, but 
at the end of the day, like, Biden's still reinvesting more money back into, like, prison systems. He's still, like, giving policing systems more money, and he's, like, he has a lot of problems with his policies, especially, like, between him and Kamala. Um, And I feel like we have to also be acknowledging of what that is, because a lot of people have been, like, we'll vote him into office and then hold him accountable. How do we expect to hold the most powerful position in the executive branch accountable if we're not doing it right now? Yeah, and I think also it's just about, like, being realistic. Because, I, I mean, obviously it's difficult to be, like, optimistic where we are right now, and I'm not saying you should, like, be that, but I think it's important to know who you are actually voting for if you decide to vote for Biden. And then like, to that note, it's important to, to be realistic about what will happen if you if Biden wins. Like, if, if we kind of avoid critiquing both Biden and Kamala, what happens when they're actually in office and when a lot of people who voted for them under this like, guys that they would sh- like shepherd in a new world are now very disappointed at the reality of the situation. Um, and obviously this is not to say that what would happen under like a second Trump term is better or equal to what would happen, but like obviously it would be worse. But also I think it's just as important to be realistic with people because if, if you're not realistic with them, that can kind of like push them farther away from all kinds of activism of this sort. Yeah, I agree. I feel like a huge part is to just lower expectations for our politicians in general because we possibly can't hold them to such high standards when our options are Trump and Biden. Obviously, vote blue, but we have to be realistic about the policies that Biden is supporting and how he would be in office. I think it's a matter of, like, the system that we're living in right now, it's very much a two-party system that you're either you're either voting Republican or Democrat. If you vote third party, it you're... Like, we're really, we are realistically not going to have a third party president, at least in the near future. Um, That being said, I don't think that Democrats are as, like, a lot of Gen Z, at least, like, me living in, like, a blue state in, like, New York City, it's very much liberal. I don't think that Democrats are necessarily as progressive as people claim they are, and that, like, I think it is a lot of a facade that, Democrats are not the saviors of people of color. Like, both systems, both parties have been, like, inherently our American government is colonialist. Like, both systems perpetuate, like, empire and, like, racist, like, racism and sexism and etc. And I think that, like, I agree that we can't hold our politicians to this high standard because, to be honest, the system is working exactly as it was meant to do it is working perfectly fine like people of color are not supposed to like thrive under the system and i think that like yeah i don't think politicians can ever reach like this level of perfection and i don't think we should idolize them either yeah i think especially like it 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 really does go back to what you said earlier about like the difference between a gunshot in the front and a back the system wasn't really created for us to have any good options either. Like people, something that I've heard a lot of people saying is like, wow, it's so sad that these are our options this year. When have we ever had better options? Like when in all of history have we had valid options that would actually help? Literally never. Like even like 
the people who will like put like I love AOC sure like she's great and then like as someone who grew up in Washington Heights like I see her and I do feel like very happy that that's like representation but also I don't agree with her 100% either you know like that's not I don't think that there's ever been and there will ever be a person who you agree with 100% and so to kind of latch on to the only person who you like if you find someone in government who you agree with like 60% you're like all right well I'm just gonna like latch on to this person because they give me most of what I want it creates this like cycle of just like settle 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 and so and then we we can never really get out of that and I think people kind of sometimes think that all this happened by accident like oh these happen to be our choices next year we'll have better ones in 2024 we'll have better ones there are choices on purpose this happened intentionally and the sooner you realize that this happened intentionally the closer you kind of get to actual avenues for solutions yeah and i feel like building off of what you said about latching onto certain politicians there's also the sense of community between democrats and republicans people don't want to stray from the status quo and trying to see different perspectives which only like further polarizes the left and the right which just creates the sense of like animosity around like these people. It's like, oh, like don't vote for Biden because you don't want Trump or like vote Trump because, you know, Biden is a horrible person, but they're both horrible, you know, but they, these are our choices. And yet we have to look, we have to be optimistic, but at the same time, be realistic about changes and our own actions to try to make these changes become reality. I think on the like topic of partisan divide, I think there there's also like a very big I don't know if this counts as partisan then because it's not necessarily like a party divide, but um a divide in the left between so like during COVID there's definitely been a huge spike in leftist identity, like political identity, especially among millennials and gen z and i think that there has been a big divide between leftists and between like self-identifying liberals and i think that like for example like i've seen on social media a lot of people on both sides both liberals and leftists thinking that they have this supreme moral complex that like leftists some not all leftists some leftists are like I'm not, I'm going to vote third party because I need to prioritize my moral complex. Like I can't vote for either candidate. Um, And then liberals criticizing leftists for doing that, but also liberal, like a lot of the democratic, like self-identifying democratic socialists I know are like white cis girls living in a blue state. And so they have this also like moral complex that they can save people that need saving and that if you don't vote for people of color you're if you don't vote for Biden you're actively contributing to the damage of like people of color communities but like you are that does that not sound white savior to you does that like you're criticizing people for being white savior but you can't apply that to your own self and it's just it just seems very hypocritical to me no definitely I agree and I think also like it gets so much more dangerous when they target it towards like QT BIPOC and then, and they, and, and it, it happens often. Like it's not, I think the argument of like, if you don't vote for Joe Biden, it's coming from a place of privilege and that you won't be personally hurt by like policies put into place that works for people who won't be personally hurt by policies put into place by him. But I don't think people don't understand that the same rhetoric just like, doesn't really apply when you're talking to people who like, 
will be and that that is a personal choice and then like they can make that choice um and like again like if i could vote in the upcoming election i would vote for biden but i also recognize as someone who like is a person of color that that is my choice <laughs> really no um but yeah I, I also think that people like with the whole like conversation about like tiktok liberals and leftists i feel like I think TikTok has been in some ways like a really good tool to help people understand what they believe in. But I also think for like, I don't know if you guys remember, um, it was a little while ago, but there was a trend that was like what I would be canceled for on leftist TikTok. And it was stuff. What, what was, I, I think Francis, you have, you have good examples of like what the stuff was that people would say. It's just like regular it's like, oh, I would get canceled for being a capitalist. I would get canceled for, for believing in police reform over abolition. But then it's like, then you're not a leftist. Like, it's not a trend to believe in, to co-opt radical sayings. And like, for example, abolish the police and ACAB are inherently radical ideas. Like, ACAB is not like, like putting it on Hello Kitty, Hello Kitty merch does not make it social activism and if you if you don't if you're police reformed think all cops are bastards but you don't want abolition like it, it they're mutually exclusive mm -hmm. and i don't think like people are a lot of especially among gen z people are adopting these like radical polit like like rhetoric co-opting it to like de-radicalize it make it like digestible for people and then taking all like that meaning out of what we're actually advocating for. Mm -hmm. And then because it's politically correct, it's politically correct to do this. And they want to maintain this facade of like, I care about people. I'm so cool. And it's, 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 it's harmful to the movement. Yeah. And then that's, that goes back to the whole thing of like being realistic with people. Like if you, if, if someone believes like someone has like a cap in their bio, which is literally in everyone's bio, but then if you have, if you were to have a conversation with them about like abolishing the police or defunding the police, would they actually be in support of that? Or are they just kind of like using this phrase to fit in with what is now trending and with what is now like popular to be on board with? Or like people who will yell, who will like yell at cops in the street, which don't get me wrong, I love to do that. But do you, are you actually in support of these things or are you just kind of using them to make yourself not not only just to make yourself feel better and to make yourself feel like you're fighting for BIPOC communities, but also just to make everyone else around you think that you're actually in support of them. And I think it can get really dangerous. Yeah, and it just ties into the whole issue of performative activism and doing things just because it looks good and because it's trendy and not necessarily because you believe in it. I feel like people just have to really explore these actual like topics and like not try to preach to other people before knowing it yourself. I think that, I think people who say that they're fighting for POC communities and like, or not even just POC, like also like LGBTQ plus communities and like, um, like a different marginalized religions like that are not, uh, um, like considered like the little bit, a lot, that face a lot of hate in America. Um, I think that there's like a lot of politically correct rhetoric that says um 
so for example, a lot of people have been saying like vote or die. And and then they go around saying that by saying vote or die and like by manip- like emotionally manipulating people into voting for Biden that they're saving these like marginalized communities when like they're also marginalizing people within those communities by gearing themselves towards like a white audience. So they say like, oh, vote or die because I'm mainly talking to like privileged middle-class white folk. But like, what about the like, LGBTQ plus BIPOC survivors who are also on your story and seeing you say vote or die. And you're saying, no, you have to vote for both candidates are, have been accused of like sexual assault. And like for you to force, coerce survivors into voting for someone who very much is not in tandem with their beliefs or core values or anything and like offend their experience as people and like human beings is like completely counterintuitive to whatever you say you are preaching. Yeah and it's also just I think like a lot of the people who are saying this are like you said before like white cis people who are like living in a blue state and it's very easy for them to like it's super easy for them to be like okay like if you're not voting for biden you basically should like fall off the face of the earth like you are a horrible person you're the worst in the world and that like first of all literally that isn't like you're like manipulating them like that's not not the best thing to do and second of all like you you literally don't know a person's experience like you don't know if if that's putting them in a situation that could be potentially triggering. You do not know what they have been through and they're under no obligation to tell you what they've been through also. Like they do not have to. So by pushing this rhetoric, not only are you like period, just putting people in uncomfortable, like potentially triggering situations, but even the act of like possibly having to out themselves as a survivor could be putting them into that situation. Like you're making them defend a choice that is based off of like, something that is possibly the most traumatizing thing that has happened to them. You know what I mean? Like, that's not, that that's very, and I, I just think that there are ways to say voting is important. You probably should vote if you're able that are not polarizing and that are, that are not manipulative. And, and, and for people who say it in those ways, that's fine. But there's a lot of people who are doing it in a very dangerous and, and in a very just like a wrong way that is not going to lead to any change and that's actually probably going to hurt more people than they claim to be helping. Yeah, and it's a privilege to even be able to preach this rhetoric to people and say vote or die because you have the choice to vote, you could vote, but you're almost saying that you must vote for this person. You're not giving them a choice and you're putting this label on them. You're saying you're a horrible person if you don't vote for Biden because a vote, they're like, if a vote, like a vote not for Biden is a vote for Trump. But like, you're just perpetuating the harm and the stigma that society puts onto them. There was like, I've read some articles that were like, if you don't vote, that is the most selfish decision you can ever make, especially if you are a person of color, because especially like this article is like geared towards like a black audience. And so it was like, especially if you are black and you don't vote, then like you are undermining a lot of work that, you know, the Black community has done in the past, like, decades, like, especially um, in, like, the 60s, like, to get your right to vote, and, like, it, it, it's just, you can't make generalizing statements about a whole group of people, especially when, like, Democratic or Republican, like, 
or if some new party eventually comes up and replaces the two-party system like we have never had a good president everyone says Lincoln was our greatest president Lincoln literally sat down a couple of black men and we're like how about we send you all back to Africa that's our best president that's our best president it's just this like coercing and emotionally manipulating people into supporting systems that are inherently anti-black or inherently racist or inherently homophobic transphobic etc is coercive it is coercive voting as much as like people fought for our right to vote voting is a choice voting they fought for our right to vote comes with their like choice to not vote and if like someone chooses and like Zeramar, you said this to me and like it's so i really like what you say and you can probably explain it better but like if someone who is marginalized and will be hurt by let's say trump or biden's policies and they choose not to vote in this election, that is a greater decision on their part because they are aware of like what their life will be and like therefore you don't know their story. So you don't know why they're not voting. And like they're making that very conscious decision knowing that like post the election, their life may have worse or better outcomes, you know? And like if they're voting, it's for a reason. If they're not voting, it's for a reason. Yeah, I think it just, you said it fine, Francis. I think it just boils down to, like, say, like, they don't, like, I know what's going to happen if either candidate wins. Like, I am very aware of what, well, I'm not aware of what Trump's going to be like, because that just shocks me every day, but that's, like, what makes it scary. But, like, if Biden wins, I'm I'm pretty sure of what's going to happen. Like, I'm, I'm mentally preparing myself for what is going to come. And so... With that being said, with me like literally thinking about this every single day, I would vote for him, but I also would not judge someone who didn't vote for him because at the very least, I would give them the assumption that they have also thought about what's going to happen and that that's an informed decision that they, as a person of color, have made. That's just, I would give them the benefit of the doubt, especially as someone who like thinks about this very often and has gone back and forth on it a lot. So yeah, I, I just think that I, like, I wouldn't find myself in that place where I'm, like, very heavily judging somebody or criticizing someone if I don't know who they are and I don't know their struggle or their life. Um, and then I think on the point about, like, coercion and, like, coercing people to vote, also I think something that I've seen a lot is people, especially, like, right after Kamala got chosen for VP, um, being very, like, now you have to vote for him. You have to now. Do you see this? This is the representation you were looking for in government. You have to vote now. And I think, I mean, I, I would be happy to hear more of what y'all both think about this, but I just also want to preface this section of the conversation by saying that I have seen a lot of criticism of Kamala Harris coming from a racist place, um, coming from a sexist place. And I think there is a way to criticize people that is none of those things. There's a way to criticize people for the things they've done and said and for the policies they've put into place that have nothing to do with their identity as a person. And I think that is where at least our organization and, and I think both like um, Jan and Francis stand on that matter, right? So like, I, right, I, I'm assuring, like, I don't think that, um, and I think people who do criticize her from a racist or sexist place also often like I don't know I don't think that I would agree with them on many other things anyway um but yeah so 
Um, I just feel like you have to take into consideration her past as a persecutor and like how much does that weigh into her being representation for black and Asian women in office. Because it's like, yes, she is, she could almost be seen as a token for Biden, but why are we voting her because of it? Why are we voting for Biden? Because, you know, the vice president will be a black woman. It's like, does that really like affect the policies that will be put into place? Or is that just to look better, to make this administration seem more inclusive? I think, um, wow, comma. Um, there's definitely been a lot of, I'm hesitant, like my personal opinions on her, like aside, I've seen a lot of people reposting things that were like, imagine what a three-year-old like black or, or like Asian girl who sees Kamala on the TV will think as like seeing her in like the the position of the vice president and I'm like oh okay to be fair I wasn't politicized until I was in like the sixth seventh eighth grade like I did not know who the president was when I was three years old um but like even if some and I'm not saying like there's like nothing powerful in like having a woman of color as a vice president I think like that was a that is a big move whether or not she is like a prosecutor or not like the fact that we can have a woman of color running on like on a ticket is a really big step from from our especially in an election with just another two white men again like um but at the same time i don't think representation is the will save us like there's a very nice malcolm x quote that's um I will entirely be misquoting it, but <laughs> it's like the white man will give us symbolic victories instead of like economic equity, um, etc. Um, and like actually making tangible material change to like change, let's say like the racial wealth gap or um, racism as like institutions. And I think that is if we're capitalizing on Kamala as a just her identity. You can't provide me other reasons on why she's a great vice president. It's just it's just her I racial and gender identity. I don't think that's like the most valid reason to vote for someone if she has also been accused of perpetuating like anti-blackness within her job as a prosecutor. They kind of cancel each other out in my in my own personal opinion. Yeah, I also think that I've seen like to that point, I've seen a lot of people who well, I think what's 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 bad about it is that people will see that and they will immediately assume that she is a candidate for BIPOC when they see that she is represent like that she represents us. Um, and I I remember like right when she got picked for Biden's VP, there were like at least five people from my school um, who were like cis white girls who posted like. Uh, a news article of the pick with like a heart emoji and like a hard eyes emoji very excited that she had gotten picked and everyone else like we in like woman of color that week and everyone else was kind of like um i don't really like her and so there's such a stark difference between like one what people who are actually educated on her policies think about her and two like what actual bipop think about her like the general consensus that at least like people I know and like people that I'm friends with have reached around her is like, I don't really like her. Um, I don't really like her past as a prosecutor. 
I think the question is like representation at what cost? So yes, she is representation for black women and for Asian women, but at what cost? Because her history as a prosecutor has directly hurt like poor BIPOC communities. So what are we sacrificing in order to get this representation? And what good is this representation unless she's actually helping in office? You know, and, and it's like, I think that is something that I think a lot of like, specifically in my experience, a lot of like white girls who are just recently getting into activism as early as May, which is a whole different topic, but um, they will jump, they have this very, like, like they'll jump at the opportunity to support like any person of color at all without first, like first of all, uplifting other BIPOC voices and, and thinking about how people in your community feel about that person, but also without just like educating yourself. Like it's not that difficult to educate yourself on a topic before expressing an opinion, whether it's excitement or content. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing in regards to both candidates, in regards to all candidates, is like just not a lot of education on like who they actually are and what they actually want to do. Yeah, and these are like the same people that would post like vote Biden or die. It's like if you vote, if you don't vote for Biden, you're racist, meaning that like directed towards everyone, including BIPOC, who are informed of their choices. So it's just perpetuating this you know system of harm against BIPOC people. I think that reminds me of the quote Biden said on his interview with Charlemagne the God, and he was like, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Because blackness is suddenly relative to their support of an anti-black institution. It's really funny how, like, white men will twist your identity to support their agenda. And it's not just white men. I'm, I'm saying the white man as, like, the, sim the symbol of... This also includes, like, privileged white cis girls who... Um, preach vote for Kamala because she is representation and like little like South Asian girls will be so happy to see her on the TV but then like representation isn't doesn't save us like Clarence Thomas is black Elaine Chow is Asian she's married to Mitch McConnell like I don't like I don't think being a person of color in of itself and supporting that person of color symbolically means that you are suddenly now an activist. Like you are so like so many white folk are so hesitant to donate to like mutual aids or like GoFundMe's for like um, like life affirming like trans surgeries or like like um, like body affirming po like uh, processes and but they're, they will jump on the wagon if they can like symbolically show their support for these communities without giving us anything. They don't give us anything, but their word, but their word. Your word means nothing to us until we have change. And I, I won't believe it until I see it. No, yeah, literally, because like, I, the first time, like I, I went to school that I'm going to, I started in ninth grade. And I, like, that was the first time that I was, like, in 
predominantly white institutions like was when I was like 13 or 14 in ninth grade because before that I was in like Washington Heights and, and then like the Dominican Republic which is literally all Dominican so like for a couple of years now it's been like m white people being like I we're gonna do better we are going to change things we and then they'll like do like pretty much exactly what Francis said like they want you to believe you just based on the fact that they're telling you it's going to happen. But at the point where you've been telling me it's going to happen for three and a half years now, like, excuse me if I just don't believe you. Like, I do not. And then, like, even with, with a lot of people, I think there's been a general shift, especially in terms of, like, New York City schools. Um, after everything that happened in May, there's been a general shift of, like, okay, now we want to do better. We're listening to you now. Like, tell us what you want us to do. And as grateful as I am that we're finally being given that platform, it's like, we've been speaking for four and a half, for, for three and a half years. It's just now that things are getting serious for you is when you want things to change. Now that you're actually getting backlash for your actions is when you want things to change. And so I just think that it's a lot of like, it's interesting that what we tend to go through on a smaller scale, just in our schools, it's like the exact same thing as we go through on a larger scale, like empty promises, people saying they're gonna do things and they don't, like unrealistic expectations leading to disappointment, like it all kind of translates to a smaller scale, which is pretty interesting. I was thinking of um, this, I was just thinking of how voter activism itself is predominantly white or I, th I think it's predominantly white and I think that there's a reason for that. It's not that like people of color are, are like apolitical. I, there's like a big stereotype that in the Asian community especially that like we are very apolitical especially because there's a lower voter turnout rate. Um, it's less to do with us having apolitical means like we don't have political opinions it is not to do with like we don't have political opinions but that like trust me even if like we can't speak fluent english or even if we don't even have the like ability to vote because some folks are like not documented or like haven't got their citizenship um we have opinions on the state of this country and voter activists like we have a distrust in the institutions about like if we really want to change we would take change in our own hands and i think that's why like mutual aid is like so important and why like bottom like grassroots organizations are so important because we're actually doing change without needing to beg our like white politician that somehow was supposed to represent like a very diverse neighborhood that is predominantly POC, it, I just, at the day politicians actually don't co start compromising on like everything they believe in for power and for like political power is when I will start giving more weight to politics as a system that can liberate people of color. But until like, there has ever been a good law that wasn't just like reversing something that happened in the past, like the Emancipation Proclamation. Was that really like a good, it was, it's literally just reversing something that the white man did and saying that they, and giving Lincoln all the credit for being the great emancipator and like erasing all the other abolitionists that were literally 
um, doing the work way before him. Um, but yeah, I think we should give more credit to the people who are doing work outside of these institutions and like just doing work with their like hands and with their communities. Yeah, and I feel like we should really just focus on our own communities and not trusting and putting our trust and faith into these politicians who won't talk to us, who won't actually see us and only view us as a way to move forward in their campaign. That we should actually focus on improving our communities, like volunteering in hours, donating money to local organizations, and just trying to improve our communities as individuals and not preaching online or to or just like posting like a story on like vote for Biden, like always vote blue. Yeah, I think um, that kind of reminds me of something I read. It, it wasn't like the whole point of the book, but it was like right at the beginning of um, All the Bright Places. And it basically talks about like how a lot of people, especially living in like, for the purpose of not having time to explain the difference between like fat and lean economies, I'll just call it like the Western world. Um, a lot of people, who are in like Western countries will only give validity to a solution to a problem when it comes from what they consider to be like a formal source. So like a government institution, a, a, a like nationally recognized organization. And it, the way that she wrote it was in regards to the entire rhetoric around like mission trips. Um, but I think it, it, it can benefit in this conversation because a lot of people, especially like a lot of people who've been getting into youth activism also, I think kind of, a lot of times have that opinion is like voting is super important which I do agree with but also like we should put as much emphasis on like forms of community care and on grassroots organizers and on looking inward and, and looking on your community and figuring out ways to aid your community because that's what people are actually like that's what's going to create tangible change in people's lives voting is super important but I think in terms of like change right now and immediately and making people's lives better um community care is also very important. Um, and I think that's a lot of like, yeah, I, I think community care is also just as important and a lot of like the rhetoric around voting and like institutions seems to imply that it's not. Um, and that's why I think a lot of people get this distrust is like, you're telling them their only source of solution is the government that they've been taught to hate and like distrust. That's what's gonna like, that's what leads a lot of at least in my opinion, like older generations away. Um, so with that being said, that is the end of our third podcast. Um, thank you everybody for listening. If you have, if you're still here, um, and yeah. Yeah. Um, bye-bye everyone. Thank you for listening. Bye. See you at our next podcast. <laughs>